0: on today's episode blister myth busting with rebecca rushton welcome to the run smarter podcast the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier stronger smarter runner if you're like me running is life but more often than not injuries disrupt this lifestyle And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brodie Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. I wanted to call this episode uh, Blister Busting, but... I think um, after listening to Rebecca Rushton, uh, we probably shouldn't be busting our blisters <laughs> depending on the circumstances. So um, I'll let her talk about that in a second. I hope you enjoyed um, our success story with Danny last episode. It is the last success story of our series. Um, so I've been getting a lot of positive feedback. And so if I stumble across a really nice success story in the future, it might just be a one off, but yeah, that's, that's it for those series. Um, I have plenty more ideas in the works of future episodes coming up and future guests to have on. So look forward to delivering more and exciting things, keeping the variety going. So Rebecca Rushton is a podiatrist and I heard her on the Shoephoria podcast and just sparked the idea, how come we haven't talked about blisters yet? So I reached out to her and she was grateful enough to come onto the podcast and I am truly grateful that I can speak to a podiatrist who has almost specialized in blister management, understanding it, prevention, um, treating. So it was good to bust her brain and talk about all things blisters. I haven't had much experience with it, which you'll see in a second, but I know it is a big issue and there are a lot of misconceptions around blisters. And so I thought it'd be great to dive into like the understanding, the prevention, treatment, management, all that good stuff. She does have a website, blisterprevention.com.au, that was what I was most familiar with and the one that I checked out. But she mentioned after the recording that there is actually blisterprevention.com because she does ship out all these lovely um, blister kits and other podiatry products. You can have a go, you can have a, um, a browse, but she has the US distribution as well, hence the second website. And I thought, fantastic, because most of the people that listen to this podcast are either in Australia or they're in the U.S. And so her website distributes her products to both of those countries. And so check it out. Um, There are some useful things in there. If you do have blisters or you want to prevent blisters, um, check out the website and see if you can find a product that suits your unique area of blisters, that sort of thing. We also ask some questions from the patrons as I do with most of the guests that I have on, uh, the opportunity to ask a a question. If you do want to become a patron and contribute $5 per month to receive these benefits, the link is always in every episode, uh, in the show notes of every episode, so you can just click on that and join the family. Okay, let's get on with it, and I hope you enjoy. Rebecca, welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast. How are you today? Brody,
1: how are you? It's lovely to be here.
0: Thank you. Um, Thank you for coming on. I have like the the podcast itself is into like more than a hundred episodes, and I I constantly think like, do I have enough content? Do I have enough ideas of episodes? Um, am I going to get to a point where I've already talked about everything and I'm just repeating myself? But as soon as hearing you on Shoeforia podcast, I'm like, how have I not even thought about having an episode on blisters? And it's a it's a thing that runners are constantly, especially like marathoners and ultra runners. Uh, constantly complaining about. So I thought, what better person to, to have on? So um, I'm excited to dive into today's content. But before we do, uh, can you maybe just give a an introduction to who you are and how you've found yourself in this particular special interest?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, well, my name's Rebecca Rushton. I'm a podiatrist in Esperance WA. Um, I've been here 20 years. I've been a podiatrist for Oh gosh, I don't know, since 1993. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I I guess I've always had relatively blister prone feet. I've been rather susceptible, particularly the back of my heels. And then when I play hockey, um, sort of medial, plantar medial first MPJ. And, you know, there were times when my feet were just in a perpetual state of blister recovery. And it, it was kind of frustrating if you think that I'm a podiatrist and I can't even handle my own foot problem. I can't get on top of it. Uh, so, yeah, that that's pretty much what spurred me on to really knuckle down and, and figure out this whole blister thing because it's in a terrible state of um, misinformation and mismanagement. So, yeah, that's what I've been doing for the last, really concentrating on it since I think about 2008 or nine or something.
0: Great. Uh, I think... Uh, when you've managed to play hockey and start developing blisters, did you notice during any particular part of the season or did you notice during any um, type of training that you were more prone to it?
1: Well, it would be pre season and start of the season. So that uh, speaks to, you know, the adaptive process and how you can kind of toughen your skin to uh, be a little bit more resistant to blisters. But, mm-hmm. um, Certainly, you know a lot of people put a lot of weight on the on the toughening of the skin or the conditioning but it's it's important for sure but it can only go so far. Uh, so I yeah, I mean I'd have it would be worse pre-season but I'd pretty much be you know blister recovering or new blister all year or all, all season.
0: Okay. How but,
1: you know walking was my worst one and and the, really what tipped the balance was I was walking one day and in 8 minutes I had a blister on the back of my heel and that that was the day that I decided this is ridiculous, sort things out.
0: So what caused that? Was it a change in footwear or something?
1: Nothing, nothing. Okay.
0: Just, (laughs) just,
1: you know, walking for eight minutes. Given I live in Esperance and it was a bit hilly and all that, but that was my normal morning walk with my dog. Um, And I don't know, maybe I had my heels taped. So, you know, you you put tape on your heels, you think, "Hmm, well, there's nothing rubbing. So there's no friction and yet he'll blister after eight minutes.
0: Okay. I think how about we, you just mentioned before that there's a lot of misinformation out there and mismanagement out there. Can we maybe delve into exactly what causes a blister and what Mm. a lot of that misinformation is circulating out there? What, What sort of things that you're seeing?
1: The, the misinformation starts right from the very beginning with the definition of, of what causes blisters. So most people would think blisters are caused by uh, heat, moisture and friction. And it certainly makes intuitive sense. Your feet get hot in your shoes, especially when you're exercising. That causes your skin to sweat more. That's the moisture which increases the friction um, on your feet. But uh We've got the hot, we've got the wrong end of the stick when it comes to friction, and the problem is friction has two meanings, and those meanings are opposite to one another. Now, when most of us think about friction, because friction is definitely involved in blister causation, we think rubbing. So, rubbing is one uh, definition of friction. The other definition is the resistance to rubbing or the resistance to movement between two surfaces. And it's this definition that we've really got to think about when we're talking about uh, blisters. So essentially blisters are a tear under the skin surface caused by the skin and the bone moving out of sync. Now, that probably sounds a little bit weird and it certainly sounded weird when I first read it. And this is from Doug Ritchie from 2010. And I think that he, he summed it up best and no one summed it up better sense, so it's the skin and the bone moving out of sync now when you walk or run uh, there's there's a mismatch between the bone and skin movement so you strike with your foot the skin relative to the sock and the shoe stays in the same spot but the bones move forward and then when you propel they move back so skin stays still Bones moving back and forth, and you can imagine what's happening to everything in between. They're kind of stretching back and forth, and that's what's called shear distortion. So blisters are caused by repetitive shear distortions, um, and it's because of this mismatch between the bone and the skin. Moving. And I
0: think most people can kind of um, have a feel of their body and kind of rub their the skin over the bone and can see that the skin can move while the bone stays completely still, and what you're saying is once we're encased in a shoe, the opposite happens. So the bone actually moves while the skin stays the same. And hence why with your experience before talking about you had a blister after walking for eight minutes, you had it taped up. So the, the, the skin itself in relation to the shoe might not have been moving at all, but we Mm -hmm. can't stop bone moving underneath skin. And so you're saying that's what caused your blister in eight minutes.
1: That's right. Yep.
0: Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, and you mentioned that heat, moisture might have a role to play, but isn't the primary cause.
1: No. And if you get hooked up on thinking heat and moisture, you will never get anywhere because you can't stop your feet getting hot and sweating in your shoe. We know that skin friction is lower when it's very dry, but when you're exercising and really probably just any time of the day, your feet, um, the skin of your feet is never in a very dry situation it's always a bit clammy bit moist certainly if you're running especially when it's hot um, there's moisture there to mean that there is a high friction level
0: okay and would knowing what we know about blisters now is there someone that might be more prone is there a type of person that's more prone to getting blisters than others
1: It's not really a type of person, but there has been a little bit of research. So um, there's conflicting information about age. There's been a couple of studies that have gone either way. Gender is conflicting as well. There were two studies that showed females were more prone and three studies that showed that there was no difference. Ethnicity, interestingly, uh, there's been two studies that show Caucasians are more susceptible than African-American. And there was another study that showed no difference between Caucasian, Asian, Hispanic, and and an other Mm. group, whatever that was. So ethnicity's got a little bit to do with it. Body mass has got nothing to do with it, or at least it's conflicting evidence. Fitness, conflicting evidence. And the other things that we do know that uh, make us more susceptible are having either a foot deformity, injury, or flat feet. If we've had no previous experience in the activity, that will definitely make us more susceptible to blisters. Um, And if we have literally just had blisters before, that makes us more likely to get blisters.
0: Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Okay. Let's write those down. If so you, I think from
1: all of that, you can say that anyone can get blisters.
0: Yeah, and mm-hmm. with anyone in particular becoming more susceptible, um, you sort of alluded to maybe the skin might not having the, be adapted or be resilient enough to undergo a certain type of friction which would be or rubbing so if they were to do a new activity or do something maybe maybe new shoes or something where there is a change in environment they increase their likelihood of getting a blister
1: yes just because the skin hasn't been subjected to those blister causing forces and hasn't built up any resilience
0: okay And so when we're talking about the skin adapting and building up resilience, Mm -hmm. because it is a break underneath the surface, like you're explaining, does the skin just get tougher? Does it just, um, is there any physical properties?
1: When we subject the skin to blister causing forces or these shear distortions, um, things like cell turnover becomes quicker. Now, um, and it happens relatively soon. Like it's not like, you know, three weeks later after you subject your skin to shear distortion, does it start to get tougher? It actually happens kind of quickly. Um, so it's important to, you know, not just go out and run a marathon, but that's the same with everything like musculoskeletal injuries. You're, you're more you're setting yourself up. So it kind of makes
0: sense. I think if I look back on my experience, I don't think I've had a blister from running except when I used to play basketball and it was preseason. almost every season if I would spend the summer walking around in bare feet, walking, like spending time at the beach, um, not wearing shoes a lot and then going back to wearing shoes. And especially when I'd go back to basketball training and put on my running shoes and, within the first training session, I have a blister. But then after that, it was, I would tape it it'd heal relatively quickly. And then I was just fine after that, which kind of fits the pattern of what you're telling us now that the turnover and adaption is relatively quick. Um, Mm. Have you found that, like I was a lot younger then, have you found that the adaption process is slower with, with age?
1: Oh, look, the, the the research in regard to blisters isn't there and I certainly haven't noticed anything.
0: Okay, it's good to know. And I think that's reassuring for a lot of people. The The next question I had written down was something that we could do if there is anything in a general sense that someone can do to reduce their risk. Based on what you've told us now, it might just be if you were doing something or if you're planning on doing something new, if you're planning on wearing a new type of shoe or going from being a runner to playing a team sport and changing direction and changing your environment, you just make sure you be sensible and, like, you know, just start slow and build your way back up. Other than that, is there any other prevention tips that you might have?
1: Oh, there's plenty of prevention tips. Um, But as far as, you know, without implementing a strategy like taping or, you know, that sort of thing, it's it's not that you can't you can only train the skin to cope with the forces so much so you exhaust that and that happens relatively soon as you you've mentioned um, and and by the way what we're not trying to do when we adapt the skin is we're not trying to build calluses certainly there might be a bit of a call- like a bit of a thickening of the skin present but when we've got the i guess the perfect amount of uh, skin adaption and skin toughening um, there's you, it's not like you've got a callus. so the, the idea is not to build calluses because calluses what they do is they just act like a big lump of something stuck to your foot and that just the shear happens under the skin or within the skin layers regardless of whether there's a callus. So calluses are not the idea when we're when we're um, adapting the skin. but what can we do for prevention? plenty of things that we can do prevention. And if we think about the cause of blisters, we just have to remove the blister causing forces. So we can do that either by reducing pressure. Now, how would we do that? Really depends on the blister location, but let's say uh, donut pads. Donut pads reduce pressure, not ideal because they're pretty bulky, um, but there's other ways of reducing pressure. We can cushion with, you know, some Spenco insoles for blisters under the ball of the foot. Um, we can, let's say we've got a blister under the big toe joint, the interphalangeal joint. One thing that we look straight for is a functional hallux limitus. So we really want to facilitate the windlass mechanism. Um, so we can get the first MPJ taking the weight that it should and not just dorsiflexing and letting it all happen under the IPJ of the hallux. So, Definitely reducing pressure is the go. Reducing friction is the go. <clears throat> and we can do that by... Well, one way one way we can do it is obviously moisture management, but it's a mistake to just put all your hopes on moisture management, like I said, because you can wear moisture wicking socks. You can take your socks off every hour and let them air out, etc. But your skin's never going to be the very, very dry that we need it to be to exhibit low... Friction. So friction-reducing mechanisms, um, we've got uh, lubricants, powders like Two Toms, blister shield powder, um, Engo patches, which are things that stick to the shoe. Uh, we've got armor skin socks, they're double socks. They're, they're quite good at um, reducing friction level. So anything, when we're talking about friction, we're trying to make it more slippery. Okay, so the the lubricants make it more slippery. The engo patches make it more slippery. When we wear the armor skin double socks, we're encouraging slip between the two sock layers. So this is the this is the aim of friction management is to reduce friction levels to which encourages an early slide, an early slip between one of the interfaces, which means the skin can then move against the sock or the shoe. To allow it to move more in sync with the bone it takes a little bit of getting your head around because you think oh well i don't really want my feet slipping around in my shoe we don't want the whole foot slipping around in the shoe we just need that blister prone area to slip easier back and forth with the bone movement well it goes back so to what you're pretty- saying
0: before it's like the <clears throat> we want to disrupt that discrepancy of the skin the bone moving underneath the skin and so if we get that mm. skin moving then the mm that kind of interface, the skin and the bone kind of start moving more in sync. So it exactly. makes sense based on what you're saying. Uh, yep. So we're either removing the blister causing forces, which be either reducing the pressure or reducing friction, or essentially we're all, we're going to adapt to said pressure or the friction. And sometimes oh, hang the, on. At-
1: let, let, let me just frame that a little bit better. So, When we're talking about uh, preventing blisters, we want to reduce the blister-causing forces. So if I just list them off, it's basically reduce pressure, reduce friction levels, reduce the bone movement, we can absorb shear with a intelligent selection of materials. We can spread the shear load, which is what taping does. We can reduce the repetitions, which basically means not run so far. So that's not so good. <laughs> and we can increase the skin resilience. And as I said, that happens pretty soon. So generally with runners, they run a lot. You know, it's not like they run once every fortnight, they're generally running kind of frequently. So we've already maximized skin resilience, okay, let's say. We don't want to reduce the repetitions because we want to run as far as we want to run. Um, But we can reduce pressure with the things that we talked about. We can can reduce friction levels with the things that we've talked about. We can try and reduce bone movement. Reducing bone movement is uh, about, you know, tight muscles, limited range of motion. So we can think about stretches, uh, tib-fib mobs, uh, lower tib-fib mobs um, anything where we can increase range of motion where uh, if, if that tight let's say the Achilles tendon for example inserts into the back of the calcaneus and we think about my heel blisters so if that's tight if the Achilles and calf is tight there's a higher magnitude of pull and an earlier pull on the back of the calcaneus to lift that heel bone up thinking about friction levels is keeping the skin still or in stationary contact with the shoe and the sock. So you can see the, the heel bone is kind of moving up and down relative to the skin. So if we stretch the calf, use heel lifts to get away with the tightness in the calf, lower tip fib mobs, um, those sorts of things are how we can address the bone movement to minimise that. All right. Yeah, um, and then sense. all depending depending on where it is on the foot, there, there's all different things that you can do. Uh, we can absorb shear. As I said, we need to use materials that do that. So if you think about a Spenco insole, um, there's a bit of give in it. Yeah. So when you're standing on the Spenco insole, you plant your heel. Let's say it kind of moves forward a little bit. So the, the heel the will mati- move forward
0: in the shoe.
1: The heel will move forward in the shoe. But this, it, the the give is happening in the um, in the spenco, yeah. not in your skin. So if there's a bit that's going on in the spenco, there's less that has to happen in the skin. And with regard to toe blisters, the gel toe protectors just absorb shear like nothing else. They're unbelievable. Do you know the things that I'm talking about, like syllapos, gel toe sleeves, etc.? Th-
0: are they on your website? I think I saw something like that.
1: Yes. Yeah, we do have some on there. So they absorb shear really, really well. Plus they cushion. Cushioning is how we reduce pressure. So yeah, there's things that we can do to absorb shear. And finally, the other one is spread shear load. Now this is how taping works. In, In my opinion, this isn't sort of well known about or really well thought about because we're still hooked up on thinking that if we put tape on the skin, nothing's gonna rub it as in friction. Um, but we know that there's still sheer distortions happening under the skin. So if we, um, but by putting, you know, tape does help some people, like it's helped you with your blisters uh, at the start of basketball season. So if you tape around the back of your heel, say, um, it just means that as the bone is moving up, it's kind of pulling on a larger area of skin. So there's less Shear distortion per unit area because we're spreading it over across a bigger, a bigger area rather than, let's say, on a Hagelin's deformity, you know, that bony thing at the back of your heel. Sometimes it's just that very location that's getting all the shear. Put a bit of tape on there, we're spreading it a bit. Gotcha. Yeah? We're distributing <clears throat> it over a larger area.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. So, particularly if you're getting blisters in a really focal area, just a little rubbing over a bone, then tape could be quite effective.
1: Well, essentially, we only ever get blisters over a very small area. At mm. least that's where it starts. And if you allow them to go on unabated, certainly your blister will get bigger. But we, we tend to get blisters in discrete locations over a bony prominence because, you know, that's the bone. There's pressure holding it against, you know, the skin and the bone, but friction levels and bone movement create the shear distortion. So taping, try not to get try not to pin all your hopes on taping because taping only does a small amount to reduce blisters. For the vast majority of people, it does enough. But for people like me with more blister susceptibility um, or reduced capacity for my skin to uh, manage the sheer distortions, I need way more than that.
0: I've got a few patron questions to ask you. But before I do, is there any other misconceptions, misguided uh, information that you commonly see talking to runners and talking to athletes?
1: Um, probably in regard to blister treatment um, and Compede in particular. do you know Compede? No uh, Compede it's quite popular in hikers and um, in the UK especially. It's it's a hydrocolloid ulcer dressing, so we use it in podiatry. Um, but this one's just kind of particularly for um, blisters. They're just little little bits of compete of this hydrocolloid. Um, a lot of people think that you can use compede or hydrocolloids for blister prevention.
0: Is it just like a padding?
1: Re- yeah, it's 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 kind of a thickish. Uh, thickish material there's a little bit of give in it but not an awful lot it's just like tape really it's it's like a thick tape and so people use it preventatively now just like tape doesn't always prevent blisters nor does compede and if you get a blister underneath your compede compede sticks like anything okay and you go to you t- go to take the compede off and it just rips your whole blister roof off So, in fact, you just made your blister worse. Um, And I also wouldn't use Compede on anything but a de-roof blister. So, there's three stages of blister. You've got a a blister with an intact roof. You've got a torn blister where there's a breach in the skin and the the blister fluid's leaking out. Or you've got a de-roof blister where there's no roof there whatsoever. Don't put it on an intact blister for the same reason you don't want to put it, or use it for prevention. And don't put it on a torn blister because, again, as you take it off, it's going to take the whole roof off. So you just use these on raw, weepy wounds, basically, which is what your blister base is. Um, so Compede is just a blister treatment, and it's only a blister treatment for de-roofed blisters.
0: Have you seen um, Stegen socks? They're they're yes. quite popular with runners. They claim to um, prevent blisters and i guess putting them on cuz i've got a couple of pairs um they do snug like fit your foot like really well it's very thin and i guess knowing what i know now it's sort of um improving the the friction oh it's reducing the friction of your skin on the shoe like your foot will be moving around a little bit more um, have you potentially seen much we about don't, that? We
1: don't, we don't know because we don't know the friction level of them, the coefficient of friction. So mm. potentially they do, but there's not really any sock brand and there's not really any taping brand that we know the coefficient of friction of their materials. So potentially the, the Stegen stock, socks have a lower friction level than others, and so just like the when you use a double sock like the armor skin, it allows for slip. Potentially, that's what happens.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, um, and I know
1: that a lot of people love those socks. So, yeah, they, they, they're just, quite different. they just feel good.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, questions. So, Nathan asks blister prevention when getting wet feet. If getting wet feet is unavoidable, if he's out in the trails, if there's wet weather, um, crossings like creek and river crossings, and <laughs> if he's out there and the feet are destined to get wet, is there any blister prevention techniques that we can do um, to help them?
1: When it comes to wet feet, we've already got wet feet or clammy, sticky skin because of the sweating that happens. But what happens when they get wet is they can get macerated and that just further weakens the skin to any shear load. Um so it's tricky with maceration because there's really, prevention is everything. There's not really any treatment other than taking your shoes and socks off and just letting them air dry that is effective. I've, I've researched that quite a lot. I've got three blog posts on my um, website that goes into all the bits and pieces that people can use and the limitations of them, the pros and cons. Um, so the key would be, <clears throat> Some people would be happy to take their shoes off, do the river crossing, put them back on again. Others are happy to just leave them on the whole time, like get let them get wet. Hopefully uh, trust that the shoe is relatively free draining and hope like crazy that just dries things out. So at least even though we have still got wet feet, they don't get macerated. You can use waterproof socks. Um, they're a bit different. They will actually keep your feet dry. Uh, for example, Dex Shell rings a bell, is a, is a brand of uh, waterproof sock. Um, but I would just have all your preventions in place, be it your armor skin socks. In fact, armor skin socks are probably a, a good choice if you know that your feet are going to get wet, because armor skin socks manage friction, so they're a friction management strategy. We know when we've got wet skin, it's a higher friction level. It's better than engo patches because engo patches have the potential to fall off once they get wet, like waterlogged. Um, so and then when we, when it comes to your lubricants and your powders, you'll just need to, you know, that's just gonna they're just gonna disperse and become ineffective. So you'd have to be prepared to reapply them. Um but of the of all of those, I'd probably pick the armor skin socks if you know your feet are gonna get wet.
0: Is there anything to say for like better fitting shoes, like are there, are there types Absolutely. of shoes that can reduce the, I guess, yeah, reduce the movement of skin like once you start running?
1: Um, with regard to shoes, shoe fit is important, there's no doubt. But if you can't get perfect shoe fit, let's say you've got a bunion or, you know, whatever, hammer toe, let's say, it doesn't mean that you're destined to get blisters. So you just need to hone in on that blister location, figure out all the blister-causing forces and the specific things that you can do for that blister location. So, no, there's no such thing as, oh, I, I'm pretty prone to blisters. I should go out and get a Nike, whatever. It's it's far too, far too difficult. And a lot of people, most people should really choose shoes definitely for fit i mean that goes without saying but for other reasons like you know their their activity so it's going to be a good match for the purpose um and you know how comfortable they are so yeah it's not as easy as a certain shoe
0: thinking about nathan's question i was thinking of one either those like i'm not a massive advocate for barefoot running but like those five finger Vibram shoes that kind of have the webbing individual toes Mm. like that could potentially like if you find a shoe that fits like a sock, then it's kind of limiting bone movement or that um, skin interface, or you have like a trail shoe that has a really big kind of toe box. So the, the, the toes aren't really close together, allows them to splay out a bit more, which could affect the skin on bone, that sort of discrepancy there. Um, Have you found much with shoes like that?
1: A a deep and wide toe box comes into shoe fit. Okay. So if your toe box isn't deep or wide enough, then you don't have a very good shoe fit. Mm. So again, if your feet require that, then they require it. And it's very tricky to prevent and treat blisters if the toe box of your shoe just doesn't have enough space for your toes. Now, when I go to these six-day ultra marathons, they'll have several pairs of shoes and the shoes that they start off with are probably not the ones they're going to end up with because as their feet swell and the toe box becomes less roomy, they need to switch to a shoe with more toe box room. So, yes, certainly a deeper and wider toe box is never going to be a bad thing um but it's only going to be necessary if your current shoes and the activity that, that you're doing and the amount of swelling that you get is inadequate uh if your shoes are inadequate for that already right and with uh, regard to the vibrams no i wouldn't i would doubt it i mean there's no research to to back that up but i doubt that they're going to be any better off for blister prevention in fact there'll be probably worse for blisters at the ball or the foot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Uh, Erin asks the best way to mend slash prevent blisters that gather in between the toes. What can we do for that specific type of blister?
1: They're definitely tricky. First of all, we need the toe box room. Mm Mm-hmm. And we need to have that the whole way through. So with the ultra runners, they'll need to change their shoes so that they've got that room. And in fact, some of the ultra runners at these six day events, they just, in the end, they none of their shoes have enough room and they just cut the whole toe box out so that there is enough room. It's a bit extreme, um, but ultra runners do extreme things. Uh, so definitely room in the shoe you can tape definitely it's not always going to prevent the blisters but by all means tape and spread a bit of shear load so it's not concentrated at that you know bone on bone spot between the between the toes um, the interdigital or sorry the the toe uh, gel toe sleeves and caps they can be fabulous as i said they absorb shear that literally Shear, the the skin, shear doesn't have to happen in your toes at all when you wear those. The problem with them is they take up a fair bit of room in your shoe um, and you certainly can't wear them on every toe or, you know, even two toes sometimes is pushing it a bit. Uh, So I've seen these on
0: your website. They're just like a little sleeve, um, kind of like a little bandage thing that goes over an individual toe.
1: Yes, and and a very conformable gel um, on the inside you can get them from chemists they're available all over the shop silipos is a is a good brand um then there's toe socks toe socks can be good a lot of runners wear toe socks um again they take up a bit of room in the shoe when you think about normally there's no anything there's no material between the two toe between two toes now all of a sudden you got one sock layer there and one sock layer there. And then you've got that all the way around. So it does bulk things up a little bit, Mm. uh, but it, but rather than having uh, no cushioning between the toes now that now you've got a little bit of cushioning from the two sock layers and you've also got an additional uh, movement interface because normally it's just the skin on the skin. And now there's two sock layers in between and the socks can, move against one another rather than the toes move against one another. Yeah. And other than that, what do we got? We've got, if you've got a particularly clawed toe or hammered toe, um, a podiatrist might make a particular toe wedge or toe prop. They can be good to make toes kind of move less in the shoe or at least normally when we get uh, like an interdigital corn, for example, or a callus, it's because there's a concentration of pressure on the two um, adjacent bones and all the rest of the interdigital pressure is kind of negligible. But when we mould something to that whole interdigital space, rather than it being very pinpoint pressure, we even the pressure along that whole interdigital space and that can go a long way to preventing blisters between the toes. Uh, But my pick would be uh, the gel toe sleeve especially for pinch blisters do you know the ones where you where your little toe kind of gets like a ridge on it they're quite common so like a lot of near people the,
0: have, the bed of the nail
1: no on the underside of the nail it's kind of on the underside slash in between the toes often that little toe is curly and he kind of kinks in under like that a bit essentially your fourth toe is like treading on your fifth toe with each step that you take. Oh, you can ever do any toe. Yeah and over time, the pulp of that toe gets pinched, and then it just becomes oh, that shape, I see. kind yeah, of triangular. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah.
1: Well, if you've got a pinch callus like that, then you are just waiting for a pinch blister to happen. Yeah. And for those, the the gel toe sleeves are going to be your best bet.
0: So, just because we're an audio format, I'm just going to explain that a bit a bit more. So, what you're saying is the adjacent toe is kind of tucking under the toe next to it, just subtly. And so it's pushing the skin differently. It's pinching the skin. And if that's done over, you know, the number of repetitions of running, then a blister could form. Yep. Great. Uh, one more question I have, which is right up here, alley. Tracy asks, uh, what should we do for blisters mid-event, say for an ultra race? Um, should we pop them, cover them, leave them, cry, stop running crazy distances? What do we say?
1: Stop running crazy distances. No, no. Um, It depends on how crazy the distance is. So in my experience, anything up to a 24-hour ultra, people aren't going to want to stop for blisters. So I don't even bother going to those events. Um, They'd just rather tough it out because the time pressure is so immense. Uh, And they're crazy people. of course and but if you want to uh, stop and do something absolutely it becomes more significant sort of the 48 hour 72 hour and definitely the six day you, you can't just tough a blister out generally some people do but generally the, the the time pressure is a little bit less and so you've got the opportunity to stop and do something about it first of all you need to have gear with you so you need to have thought about this in advance Um, So with regard to treatment, what you need is betadine or some sort of antiseptic, some island dressings, which is a fancy way of saying band-aids, and some hydrocolloids. So they're the two dressings, antiseptic for uh, infection control and your band-aids and or your compede for your different types of blisters. Now, probably in a big ultra marathon, I don't use much compede or hydrocolloids because the way they work best is to stay on for kind of days at a time. And when you are in a six day ultra, there's, there's still a lot of blister causing forces. And generally we end up having to change it every, you know, maybe twice a day. And that, you're sort of losing the effect of the compete or the hydrocolloid. So, I would maybe just stick to if you really want to cut down, just stick to your island dressings or your band aid. So, it's better than in a band aid. So, that's the basics of your blister treatment. But it's important to remember that blister treatment is not just looking after the injured skin, it's also implementing blister prevention. Because if we don't want that blister to get bigger and we don't want it to hurt so much, we have to reduce or minimize the blister causing forces, which is basically blister prevention. Um, Of course, it always depends on where the blister is. So so it's not as easy as saying blisters need this, this and this, it really depends. Like I said, toe props and things for toe blisters. Um, Gel toe sleeves are good for toes, but obviously you you can't use that gel material. There's just way too much give in it to use it under the ball of the foot. Because if you have it under the ball or the foot or under the heel, there's just way too much movement of the whole foot in the shoe and you'll just end up with black toenails because your toes will hit up at the end of the shoe. So always be mindful of the blister location and hone in on that blister location and all the relevant factors. If so, you have a blister
0: that has a roof on it, are we popping yeah. it and then doing the Benedictine and bandages or are we just leaving it as is with and yeah, then do that's, the...
1: That's a tricky one. Now, I quite like to pop a blister in an ultramarathon situation because you can pretty much guarantee it's going to pop anyway. So I'd rather take the bull by the horns, be in control of the situation, lance that blister in a clean way, dress it up, and so away you go, and then you just need to know that you need to redress it and look after it and make sure it doesn't get infected. Um, but there's a there's certainly advantages to leaving a blister roof intact because as long as it's intact, it can't get infected. So in a way, it depends on um, you know, your environment. So if you are doing a trail ultra, you're doing water cross or river crossings, it's getting muddy, whatever, you'd be very reluctant to pop that blister. But at the races that I go to, people are generally running around around a track, maybe uh, K, K and a half um, in distance. and so they're passing by the medical tent or their own tent pretty frequently and you know they they have the opportunity to really look after that blister and plus it's clean because it's a track, sort of a, an environment.
0: Yeah so, so we're kind of
1: mm,
0: I guess the um, the idea would be reducing the risk of infection as much as we can. So it, it's nice to know to say if someone finishes an event and then they find a blister and it's got a roof encased over the top of it, then we can say, yes, let's leave it on because that's well in case. It's not going to become infected. Um, would you still go with the Benadine and the those bandages like you were talking about?
1: I would. I'd put a, a Band-Aid or an island dressing on it just for a little bit of protection. So the important thing about an island dressing is there's a non-adhesive part and that goes over where the blister is. So nothing's gonna stick to the blister itself. So when you go to remove it, everything's cool. Um, And plus that little bit of padding will pad, uh, cushion a little bit, which reduces pressure. Um, but also if it does pop itself, it's there to soak up a bit of blister fluid. Again, it would also depend on where it is. If it was at the back of your heel, you could easily just not do anything with it because and wear thongs or scuffs. So there's nothing touching it. We know it's intact. It's unlikely to burst of its own accord. But if it's under the ball of the foot, a little bit of a different story. I would do your island dressings and um, implement a really good blister prevention because you still got to walk around. It's hard to walk around and not be on the ball of your foot.
0: Yeah. Great tips. Um, anything else that we haven't covered when it comes to like misconceptions, blister prevention, blister treatment that we haven't talked about today that um, you think a runner might really benefit from?
1: Not really. I think I've touched on all of them mainly. Yeah, very comprehensive. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think runners should Look past taping, look past moisture management if they're still getting blisters in spite of those strategies and realise that there's more that they can do than they possibly think at this point in time. Um, And that blister treatment is not just looking after the injured skin. You've got to implement your blister prevention. Otherwise, the blister will keep getting, it'll get bigger and it'll hurt like hell.
0: Yep. Great. (laughs) I have gone to your website, which is blisterprevention.com.au. Is that right?
1: Yeah. We've had a bit of a change just recently. It's blister-prevention.com.
0: Yep. I saw that one too. (laughs) It takes Mm -hmm. you to the same place though. Um, So Mm -hmm. do you want me just to um, put that second one in the show notes?
1: Yeah. Yes, please.
0: Any other um, social media or any other websites or links that you want me to include within the, the show notes?
1: Um, I could just send you my links. Maybe the Facebook page is, is relatively popular. Great. Mr. Prevention.
0: Yep. yep. Send me those across and the, yep. um, I'll include those. Um, Rebecca, thanks for coming on. This was, I, I learned heaps. I It's almost silly to think that I do so much research into running and actually don't know anything about blisters. So it was. Well, you're lucky.
1: Obviously, you're a little bit more resistant than many of us
0: i just don't run crazy distances either (laughs) and i've kept the same pair of shoes (laughs) (laughs) um yeah but it's i've learned heaps and at least i can talk to other runners who might have listed about this information as well and we've definitely broken into some key misconceptions which is the the ethos of the podcast so once again thanks for coming on
1: it's a pleasure thank you
0: thanks once again for listening to take full advantage of the knowledge you are building you need to download the run smarter app this contains all of my free access podcast episodes written blogs and ebooks along with my paid video courses all neatly housed into categories for you to easily navigate through and find content you're interested in also be sure to check out the show notes for links to the podcast facebook group and links to learn more about becoming a podcast patron who contribute five Aussie dollars per month to get inner circle VIP access, including an invitation into the exclusive patron Facebook group and a complete back catalog of patron only podcast episodes, which you can access within the app. Also, on the app, you can even find a link that takes you to my online physio clinic where I assess and treat runners from all over the world so I can be on standby if you ever need one-on-one physiotherapy assistance. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter Scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.